Joe's freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Salk. Brock Ewart is my hero. Jay Buter just punched me in the kidney. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. On Seattle Sports. Oh, we're going to do you a minute. Don't really work that way, Sherm. This is a show that has my name on it. It kind of does, though. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen in Ballard. Now, here are your hosts, Brock Ewart and Mike Salk. Hello! Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710seattlesports.com and the Seattle Sports application, plus all those podcast platforms all throughout the universe, wherever you find them. That universe, though, rapidly expanding. I can tell you that because I've been reading a, a book on astrophysics with my daughter. Yeah, it's astrophysics for kids. Oh, it's like a... It's a Neil deGrasse Tyson book. Oh, perfect. That's great. Yeah, and he's to writing for kids. And so I'm learning quite a bit about the universe. It is complicated, man. It's for kids, and Cecily and I are reading it together, but it is not for nine-year-olds. Are you saying the universe is not linear? I'm saying it's rapidly expanding. That's all I know. <laughs> There's something to do with dark matter, Justin, but yeah. super complex. So anyway, uh, we're on all of those podcast platforms. Welcome to the show today. Uh, it's good to have you guys with us. Brock will be in today, which is kind of fun on a Friday, although our regular Friday guests have been sort of thrown into turmoil as Joe Fan is no longer with us. Not He's still alive. He's just no longer uh, in the sports media business. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, and G is out today, which we just learned last night. So uh, I don't know what the heck we're gonna do at 8 30 we'll figure something out um i want to start with a question that has nothing to do with sports because really there is no sports today uh there was nothing last night as i know you know what is the most recognizable instantly recognizable smell gasoline <laughs> you think that's number one i think so <laughs> there's no confusing what it is it's true i just i i think it might be the smell of somebody making popcorn Ooh, popcorn and bacon are good. Somebody outside yeah. here. First thing that popped in my head was Cinnabon. Cinnabon like is Cinnabon. pretty good. Like you can any mall and you're like, oh, smell it immediately. You can like use your nose like a dog to get to the Cinnabon that's in that particular mall. You're like, oh, there's an Auntie Annie's pretzels over here. I can smell it. Yeah. It's the the real answer is probably something that's like a survival instinct. Like smoke. Like, oh no, there's like something that your brain kicks in naturally to well, say there's a problem. I sat outside on a patio last night in Seattle, and uh, yeah, you can definitely smell smoke when people are walking by <laughs> using it, uh, or yes, um, depending on the type of smoke that you might happen you know, to smell. Like a, like a Traeger. Huh? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, smoke is certainly on the list, but I got to tell you, somebody microwave popcorn outside here at six in the morning, which is a bold move, I got to say. Like, I found the answer when you're ready. Micro, oh, you like you know the actual answer? Yale did a, a study. Oh, okay. Oh, Yale did it? Oh, wow. Okay. It's, well, if Yale did it, then uh, fine. Number one is one you hate. The number one smell is burning rubber. The number the one that's classified as the most easily recognizable is coffee. Oh yeah. Oh, oh <laughs> gross. Yeah. Yeah, that's not good. Did they did they give like a top ten list or was it just that? Uh it says second is peanut butter. Okay. Really? Um That one's kind of surprising. Camphor is next on the list. What is? Camphor? Camphor? Camphor. Okay. I don't know what that oil is. Oil that comes from the bark Camp, of a tree. Yeah, camphor oil, yeah. Okay. I don't know what that is. Uh, yeah, I don't either. Uh, you have to be some sort of a smell connoisseur in order to know what that is. You need like some sort of a, I don't know, like a like a like a sommelier for smell or something. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like something uh, that yeah. you would get in like a wine tasting notes where yeah, they're like mm, camphor mm, notes of tree camphor oil? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Did you ever watch that Psalm documentary? No. Oh, there's stuff like that. Oh, I'm like, sure there is. I'm getting 
freshly oh, yeah. cut rubber hose. And- <laughs> and you're like, well, that doesn't sound good. Oh, yeah. When I worked at restaurants and so we did wine tasting, that was always mm. – uh, one that Justin doesn't like is on here too. Or, or no, you don't. It's you again. It's orange. Salt. I don't like oranges. Smell, yeah, you like the smell of them being um, peeled though. It's right. right. So, it's when they're being peeled. Yeah, I don't okay. like that. I don't like the smell so of orange mostly, peel. Mostly food. All right. Well, was popcorn on the list? It's not even on the list. Has, has any of these people at Yale ever been around a microwave popcorn machine? Probably not. I'll tell you what, man. Somebody, again, aggressive move to microwave popcorn at 6 a.m., but somebody did it out there, and I got to tell you, I'm into it. Like, now all I really want to do is eat popcorn. So That's smart. All right. A uh, couple of things on my mind this morning. Uh, one of them, this is going to be a need to know throughout the day, but I figured I would just start off with it. I got to confess something. I hate when I forget stuff. I am becoming forgetful as I get older, like everybody does. And, you know, Cecily told you guys about how I forgot my wallet in San Diego at the house that we were staying at. That was not a good moment. Uh, When I got excited about the Mariners season this year and how, like, they had upgraded all these positions, I told you I kind of forgot about Carlos Santana, which was a mistake. Like, oh, yeah, whoops, they downgraded there. I kind of forgot about that. So that's another one that I've just sort of like, oops, missed that. Sorry. Like kind of built a lot of my suppositions on this and then totally forgot about that. Uh, so, yes, I'll take I'll take some ownership there. And I realize that as we've been talking the last couple of days about Shohei Otani and where he's going to go next year, et cetera, I kind of forgot about the Padres. I just I just plain forgot about them. But they weren't listed in that. Article. I know. OK, but they should be in, in there. They've got money. Right. They seem to be on a never ending quest to spend it right now. It's not L.A.'s media market. Right. It's a softer media market. It's just south of there. You know, it's it's like the perfect city. It's like I mean, like there's a lot of reasons you could point to San Diego. And if he's trying to win and he likes those guys that are there and says, yeah, I wouldn't mind playing with Bogarts and Tatis and Machado and Soto and. Yeah, I mean, you could make a pretty good argument that if they want to get themselves involved in this, they've got another shot at it. So I, I, I don't know that that's where he's going to go. And they're, I'm not saying that takes the the Mariners sort of off the short list. I think they should still be on there, but <laughs> I don't, uh, I don't, I don't think we can just ignore the Padres. So I'm sorry about that. I forgot about them yesterday. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to add that into the conversation. How much of the team he decides to go to has I guess how much does the division matter? Because if you're going to the Padres, you're going up against the Dodgers and the Giants. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, it may, although I think we've heard Carl Ravitch said this the other day, right, that there's a chance that there's going to be some realignment in baseball just within the next couple of years. So I, I don't know whether okay. that's as big of a factor as and we might think. We but play everybody now? And- I, I mean, I'm sure all of these things are going to factor into it. I mean, strength of schedule, et cetera, that stuff certainly matters to, to your chances of winning. So it, it may factor in. I don't know. It's a, it's a really good question. Here, here's the other thing I wanted to say on Shohei. And I know Larry Stone kind of jumped into this yesterday. You see Larry's column saying that the Mariners should trade for Shohei, even if they had to give up a Kirby or a Gilbert, et cetera. I, I disagree. I don't, I don't, first of all, I don't think the, the Angels are going to trade him. They may lose him, but they're not going to trade him. And in fact, they can't trade him. If you have Shohei Otani, you need to do everything in your power to hang on to him. And that means even the risk that you're not going to get anything back when he leaves, you've got to take that risk. You've got to try your hardest to keep him in 
Anaheim. You've got to create a plan this offseason. You've got to show him what that looks like. You've got to do whatever you can to try to keep him there. And I don't believe they can or should or even will trade him. So take that for whatever it's worth. That's just my own personal view on it. Maybe they feel differently. Maybe they know he's gone and he's told them outright there's nothing you can do. But I don't believe that. I would I would be willing to believe that there's still a chance. And if that's the case, they absolutely cannot trade him. That being said, if he was to be dealt, I don't think you can get involved in that. I, I think the, the, the fear that it ends up being a two-month rental and you give up somebody as good as Kirby and Gilbert, et cetera, with all, I don't think you can do that. I think you got to do everything in your power to try to sign the guy. Don't get me wrong. And I'd spend through the roof for him. And there's all these different reasons why I think that's a good idea. But I, I just don't think I could rationalize giving up the kind of major league talent to your in-division rival that it would take to only get a rental and and then hope for the best after that. Yeah, we'll I couldn't do it. do it. Yeah. So that's just my thought on it. I like that Larry's thinking so aggressively. Like, I think it's a it's a it's an interesting thought conversation. Right. And I'll ask Brock about it later. And maybe one of you guys feels differently from me. And if you're an out there as a texter, whatever, 866-979-3776. If you think that's the case, that they should do that, go. Hey, let me know. But I, I think that would be one step too far for me. I wouldn't do that. Yeah, especially after what we heard Jerry say. He's looking for some controllable assets here. And, like, maybe if you were 10 games up right now and you're like, hey, let's stomp on the heads of everybody around us. Yeah. But no. I, I don't think I could do it right now. But yeah. I would absolutely want Shohei Otani here, and I think no, that no. you should be doing everything in your power to try to make it happen. Uh, All right. 509 wants to say, what about a skunk? What about a skunk? Yeah, that's a bad smell. There are other bad smells like skunks, though, aren't there? Like, I don't know. Maybe not. <laughs> maybe that's <laughs> a unique one. <laughs> It's not one that comes up very often. I got to tell you, like, I went positive on this. I went with popcorn, probably the greatest smell in the universe. The fact that all of you wanted to go negative here, that's fine. I'm just being my (laughs) typical positive, sunny, cheery self. Hey, it's July. It's the best month of the year. The weather is beautiful. The Mariners start again tonight. What could be better? We'll give you everything you need to know next. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Finally, it feels like it's been forever. Baseball will return for real tonight. The Mariners kicking off a huge 10-game homestand against Minnesota, followed by Detroit, then Toronto. Should be a good one. Luis Castillo getting the ball first, followed by George Kirby. And just a little reminder of where they're at. Four back in the wild card, six behind Texas in the West. Gary Hill on the station yesterday says they've got a job to do in the second half. They're going to have to play really well, no matter how you slice it, whether it's going to take 90, 91, 92, whatever that final number is going to be. I think they're capable of doing that. I think they have the talent to do it. I think in the last month we've seen that they have the ability to do it, but they're going to have to play really well for a long stretch. And in fact, I think this, 10-game stretch right out of the gates is a huge 10-game stretch for the Mariners. Yeah, we're going to learn a lot about what they're capable of and and just sort of what the numbers look like as they start to tick away games because at some point you start to run out of time. Uh, They were busy the last couple days, day after claiming and then adding Adam Aller to the AAA roster. He's a right-handed pitcher. He's been with Oakland. They also outrighted Tommy Malone back to Tacoma, which means he cleared waivers, which kind of surprised me. Malone's been good every time he's started, right? A couple of spot starts 
this year, and they may need more of him at some point if and when Brian Wu runs out of innings, especially if Marco Gonzalez can't make it back. Speaking of guys clearing waivers, Chris Flexen found a new home in Colorado. Good for him. I'm glad he'll stay in the majors, but not exactly the best place to try to revive your career, given some of the struggles that he's had this season. Here's the second thing you need to know. All right, about two weeks to go before the trade deadline. And while Jerry DePoto doesn't think this homestand will decide much, he does think that last year shows a pretty good strategy of the direction they would like to go this year as well. Our plan and the way it has been for years has always been find ways to get better. And, you know, we tend to think longer term than short. Now, even the, the Luis Castillo acquisition at the trade deadline last year, we weren't looking at it as this is the boost that gets us, you know, to the postseason. It's this is the boost that brings an ace to town, and we're going to see if we can lock him up for a while. So, you know, we'll continue to look at at the market. Likely more players that, that have a chance to move forward with us than, than what you would call short-term, you know, or rental types. Okay, so I put that out last night, and, and I know people instantly want to react and say, oh, he wants to keep the same plan that has this terrible team in place and he likes this bad offense? I don't think that's what Jerry's saying. Uh, I think what I'm hearing from Jerry is they're not looking to just spend on rentals, spend assets. What they want are foundational pieces. Okay. I just think it's if you're trying to find foundational pieces, you need to be open to finding them kind of wherever they are. And that might mean at one of the positions that you have open. It might mean at a position that you don't currently have open. And that's where I think Morosi's sound from yesterday comes in. What if you trade Ty France and bring back somebody else to be a cornerstone at first base in two different deals? You can reshape your roster. It doesn't all have to be in one move or all look for, you know, just a just a rental bat or something like that to try to add to what you've got. There's a lot of options in front of Jerry DePoto right now, and he's got a lot of young talent if he wants to try to make some of that happen. I also mentioned earlier, I, I did forget about the Padres as we were discussing landing spots for Shohei Otani yesterday. It's a fantastic city. They're clearly compiling an all-star kind of a team. Would he want to play there? I don't know. As I said, great city, media market's not too tough. I, I'm not saying he's going there, but they at least have to be considered as we're having conversations about teams on the West Coast. Meanwhile, we talked to DePoto yesterday about the fans chanting for Shohei, and he liked it. I thought it was pretty cool, actually. And 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 again, just like we talked about with Julio, there's whether whether it's some form of adoration. It's a it had to feel good if you were Shohei Otani to realize that you know a, a rival club, you know that the fan base would react that way and. You know, it's a, he's a special player having a special year, and I thought it was really cool that our fans showed him that type of adoration because you know, it was clearly not, you know, it, those were thoughts not being expressed by greater Major League Baseball fans who flew into Seattle. Those were Mariner fans, and it was pretty cool. Yeah, I think he absolutely loved it. He recognized it, and maybe it'll give them something, even if it's just a teeny little edge when it comes to this offseason. Here's the third thing you need to know. Major League Baseball released its schedule yesterday. We know some of the key dates for the Mariners. Certainly circle March 28th. That'll be opening day. The Red Sox will be in town. How about that? Followed by Cleveland again. A few tough road trips. They go Detroit, Pittsburgh, L.A. with no off day between Pittsburgh and L.A. That's nice. Appreciate that. Uh, But, you know, nothing out of the ordinary. They'll be home against Baltimore on July 4th next year. Home against the A's to finish up the season. 
That's everything you need to know, and we do that quarter past every hour here on the Brock and Salk Show. Uh, all right, let's see. Jerry DePoto, I played you some of uh, some of his cuts there and a couple things that we heard from Jerry. Uh, I liked yesterday's interview with him. I felt like we got a, a pretty good understanding of what they want to do. We got a pretty good understanding of where Julio's at. We got a pretty good understanding of what they did in the draft and why they did it. And, you know, again, that's sort of always our goal with the Jerry DePoto interview, right? I know there are folks that want it to be a, an opportunity to hold his feet to the fire. And at times, I think we've tried to ask him tougher questions about why they're at where they're at. But at this point, I mean, again, they're coming off a seven of nine wins, right? I mean, they're at the all-star break and the trade deadline's coming up. What I want out of Jerry DePoto is answers. I want to know what they're going to do. I want to understand what's in play for the next couple of weeks as the, as the Mariners move forward and why they just did what they did uh, in the draft that should set them up here for the next couple of years. So stick around. You'll hear all of that from Mariners general manager, or excuse me, president of baseball operations. Yeah, yeah. Much There's fancier title. Jerry DePoto joins us next. Brock and Salk Sales Sports on 710. The Jerry DePoto Show, presented by Seattle Pump and Equipment on Seattle Sports. All right, I lied. Let's go back first, Jerry, and talk just for a moment or two about the week that was. What was your impression overall of All-Star Week here in Seattle? Uh, I mean, I, did, I guess Mother Nature couldn't have cooperated anymore. Gorgeous uh, backdrop beautiful scene at the ballpark for all of the different events and uh, really can't say enough how proud I am of our organization of all the people that were associated with putting the show on and you know our friends from MLB who came in it was pretty awesome and and I think the the group around us feels proud for what they were able to accomplish really cool what are you what are your responsibilities like during a week like that Truly none. <laughs> I mean, it's a, there's a, we had obviously our, our game schedule is going on through Sunday and throughout we spent, you know, three weeks in general seclusion as we were preparing for the draft, which now goes on simultaneous with, with the all-star week event. So, you know, beginning on Sunday evening and running through uh, late Tuesday afternoon, we had just enough time to leave the draft room and get over to the ballpark for the start of the home run derby and then for the start of the all-star game on Tuesday. So we were, we were in the draft room, you know, finding new Mariners. Well, how, how did that go? I mean, we, 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 I know you got a director of scouting and amateur scouting and all that. How, how much of a role do you have specifically in the selection of the 20 or so players that you guys took? Uh, you know, there may be a little bigger role, certainly a bigger role than I played in, in putting on the all-star game show. But, you know, <laughs> we, uh, you know, Scott Hunter, our director of amateur scouting, does a fantastic job. He's been in this role for seven years. And, you know, our cross-check group, our area scouts just do a fantastic job of, of laying out, presenting players from across the country and, and Canada and, you know, we sit in the room for three weeks and we go through about 700 players and, and carve through the names. And a lot of the role that I play at this stage is, you know, I still do video evaluations and, and we run through favorites, you know, but mostly it's strategic. You know, what are we trying to accomplish in any given draft? You know, what are we looking for? in terms of building blocks, the types of skills that we want to build with and, you know, and then trust the scouts to, to find the players that have, that can bring those skills to life. So what was the strategy then with this draft? 
you know, this draft, we and I think we've talked about it before, I think this draft was as deep in position players, particularly the high school group, that we'd ever really seen. And we went into this draft with the extra picks, believing that this was a chance, you know, to swing for the fences, to try to find, you know, some big upside and you know, what we would call aircraft carrier type talents. And so often when you're, you know, you have the one pick in the first round and you're trying to balance a draft, you know, some risk, some certainty, you know, this time we went for uh, what we thought was the the players that were best and, and most available to us at this stage were high upside, super athletic high school hitters. And, and we took a crack and, and I feel really good about what we were able to accomplish, you know, found a couple of fun college players to, to mix in, but I think we built what should start becoming the next wave and, it's uh, it's a really exciting group, and we've never added this kind of athletic talent in one draft before, at what least is, in my time here. What is the hit rate like now on high school players like that? Uh, pretty good. You know, the, the best high school hitters in the country, and, and we've nailed three or four of them in this draft, uh, the best high school hitters in the country generally do, you know, go on to become major league players. And, and in some cases, you know, or many cases, they become the stars of major league baseball. Uh, we tend to lean on younger players. You know, we drafted a pair of 18 year olds and two 17 year olds youth in this regard is really your friend. You know, that the younger talented players, a guy like Colt Emerson, who's 17 or Ty Pete, who's 17, Johnny Farmello, Aiden Smith, are both 18. You know, the, the young ones really project well because they're already among the best hitters in their class and they're young for the class, which, you know, kind of generally it, it leads you to better outcomes over time. At least that's what the research will tell you. So we're, we're really excited about this group when you add it to Cole Young from a year ago, Harry Ford. We, we are starting to build up a nice you know, pocket of players who, as they make their way towards Seattle, it's, it should get pretty, uh, pretty fun. And we get more athletic every day. What should we read into the fact that you were so uh, bat-heavy, especially early in the draft? Is that what was available to you? Was that part of the strategy? Does that speak to where your organization's at? What, what does that mean? Uh, it's a little bit of all that. You know, we did feel like the, the best – players available to us when we were picking were bats and you know it, it's also from a strategic standpoint and i'm going to you know reference teddy mcgraw who we picked in the third round we do feel like our organization has done particularly well in in finding players like teddy and and others who we took in the, the latter half of day two uh of the draft and, and it was just a chance to to tap into high upside bat potential to add to a system, frankly, that right now is bat heavy. You know, we have our best prospects that haven't graduated to the big leagues are, are mostly hitters at this point. And, but we have a young foundation of pitching. We do very well with finding pitching in, in various places, sometimes later in the draft, sometimes trade, sometimes the waiver wire and, you know, trusting what we do very well, but mostly taking the best players available to you because the baseball draft is a little different in that way. It's going to take these kids, you know, years to, to get to the big leagues and, and we have to be patient. 
Yeah, it's funny. I, I found myself thinking a little bit about that and thinking about some of the other conversations we've had about the ballpark and free agents and trying to get people to come here and some of the frustrations maybe last year at the winter meetings that the trade market didn't really develop the way uh, the way maybe you hoped it would and saying, well, is the best strategy then to make sure you're drafting bats and then finding other ways to acquire pitching? Is that part of how you look at it? exactly how we look at it and it's a it's a strategy that has evolved over time but if if our opportunity to tap into star quality offensive players is through the international free agent market like a julio rodriguez like a gabby gonzalez who's coming through our system right now michael arroyo there are a number of players who we've been able to to sign and develop through that Avenue, and and then you look at the draft and and some of the exciting players that we're able to to push through our system. If if your aircraft carriers, if your your impact offensive players start coming from your system, and you trust your system to develop pitching in, in other and unique ways, and it also helps that we have a foundation of pitchers who are in their mid twenties, and we think they're already built out strong major leaguers so uh, we are in a time where we're able to to do something like this that hopefully fortifies the future with with multiple star quality players in the lineup well speaking of aircraft carriers julio is obviously one of those and it was interesting watching him this week he was the story for so much of it as the biggest star in the hometown of the of the all-star game you know, it, it sure sounds like he's got a lot of responsibilities in addition to just going out and playing baseball. How, I know we've talked about it before, but how, how challenging is that for him? It's got to be challenging. I mean, I felt we were all exhausted. And I know, you know, Katie and Mandy Lincoln, you know, kudos to Mandy for what she did throughout the week. So many of the people that were building up the all-star experience for, for a couple of years now had to be just fried when the, when the final pitch was thrown the other night and Julio was right there among them, you know, it, serving as, you know, the, the, the effectively serving as a host MLB's host for the, for the all-star game hitting in the home run contest, which by itself is an exhausting thing. And then, you know, having the big moment in the ninth inning with the, the crowd roaring, those are emotional moments to take a lot out of you. And, you know, and then going through all the glad handing, the parties, the, you know, family, every one of those players had family in to, to come see him. And that's its own stress. So um, I'm hoping that Julio has spent the last 48 hours just sleeping <laughs> and catching up on, on uh, you know, slowing life down because he did carry a lot of the load. What did you think of that last at bat he had where he walked? I was thrilled. <laughs> I wish he would have hit the homer. You know, it would have been the Roy Hobbs moment and the storybook, you know, event, really, the whole the whole week-long event. But the fact that he had the maturity not to, to leave his approach, he stuck with it. And and I, for one, was, was particularly happy that he was mature enough just to pass the baton. And, you know, it's, it's, it's how we want to play baseball. It's how we urge the guys to, to react. And the fact that, in that moment and it probably helps that there's all stars all around you <laughs> he didn't feel the pressure i have to get this done even though the crowd was chanting his name and and he knew you know that the the how big the moment was that this was i mean it could have been one of the the, the three or four biggest moments in the history of the all-star game had he had a homer there but it's uh 
it's taking the walk that really starts to build a foundation for us as a club, as opposed to you know the, the popularity of the league. Yeah, it's, it's nice having Jose Ramirez hitting after you. Like, well, <laughs> I mean, if I if I take a walk, the next guy's pretty good. Hey, speaking of Julio, Scott said something uh, a week or so ago that I wanted to play for you. And it's not criticism. He said it after, uh, I think, a good game that Julio had. But it speaks to uh, maybe some of the struggles Julio's had this year and what he can do to get out of it. And I I was hoping maybe you could expand on this. This is what Scott said. I think this was July 3rd about Julio. Talk to players. You try to explain to players. You try to show them the numbers and the game and the video and everything else. There comes a time there has to be the want to. And uh, I thought he made some good adjustments today. He stayed in the middle of the field. Even the ball he pulled at the end for the RBI single, he's trying to go to right center field, so he's staying on that ball, and good things happen. So, again, uh, who is a very young player? He's going to have ups and downs. Um, he's had some struggles this year. Um, and you know, sometimes, uh, you know, I know teammates are trying to help him out, coach staff trying to help him out. And, uh, you know, he needs to be open to those things because when he is, it's an electric player. It really is. Where is what does all that mean? I'm trying to interpret it as a radio host and understand what Scott's getting at. What do you hear there? No, I hear the same thing that we talk about internally fairly frequently, and not just about Julio, but about a lot of our young players. It's so easy to get caught up in this, and and when Julio's hitting in that home run contest, when Julio's coming up for the biggest at bat in the All Star game against a sellout crowd or with a sellout crowd in the home park. Sometimes it's hard to remember he's 22, you know, or he's, he's younger than some of the players we drafted over the course of those, those three days. And, and, and he's already one of the biggest stars or, or celebrities on the major league stage. And that's a lot of responsibility. And, and with it comes a, I got this type of, of, you know, feel, and it's been an up and down year for Julio with the bat. You know, he's always brought the defense. He's brought the base running every day. And, you know, I suspect he's spent a lot of his season trying to do too much to live up to a lot of those expectations that I just mentioned. It's, you know, so to to be open to a suggestion from coaches, to be, you know, willing to get in the cage and talk through what you're feeling instead of feeling like I have to go get this done because, and then you run down a list of 10 responsibilities you feel like you have, not the least of which is, the people expected of mm-hmm. him. And, you know, that's a lot of pressure to carry. And, and when Scott says that, that's what it reminds me of, because it's frequently what we're discussing is how do we take the onus off of Julio? We've talked about this for a couple of years with Jared Kelnick. How do we take the pressure off of him so that he can just go be who he is? And, and uh, you know, that's, that's why we're here. That's why we have a staff. That's why we coach. That's why we have resources. And, and, and hopefully that's why, veteran teammates become so valuable to young guys. I was uh, I wrote about Julio last night, so maybe I'm just looking for some confirmation on what I wrote. But I, I, I was thinking about things that motivate athletes, money, you know, the, their teammates, all the things that athletes play for. And I'm sure the fans are on the list for a lot of athletes, but I'm wondering if that is a higher... Uh, calling for Julio than it is for most. He seems to just have such a a natural relationship and desire to play for the fans. I think you've heard me say this before, and I can say it about Julio, and I can also say it about most anyone who's ever you know walked out on a major league field. 
you love to show what you can do and you love when people adore you for doing it. <laughs> and, you know, and Julio has that. He has that natural want to. He wants to get, he wants to generate a smile. He wants to make people say, wow. And, and, and he probably does want it a little bit more than the other guys. The, the, the best and the, the greatest players ever naturally do. And, and he does have such an easy way of interacting with people. And, you know, and you can see the joy with which he plays. You can see the, the talent that he has. And, and it jumps out, even if you're not a baseball fan and you're walking past a TV you know, when Julio's hitting in the home run contest at Dodger Stadium or the first round of that home run contest on Monday, you can't help but stop and watch. There's an electricity to it. And, and there's a natural draw, a magnetism that, that he has and, and that exists between he and the fans that I think makes him a special player. And, and he has the talent to, to continue to draw on, on, on that well, I guess. And he can become so much, uh, bigger than just a great baseball player because of how much he cares about the way he interacts with the community around him. I don't want to get you in any trouble. I know that you, you know, can only say so much about, you know, other players that don't play for your organization, but I'm sure you heard the crowd chanting, come to Seattle. What did you make of that? Who are they talking about? I, it's hard to say. I, I'm not going to. I won't answer that question. <laughs> they were just. It was at some point during the game. They were chanting, "Come to Seattle." Did you have a reaction when you heard it? I thought it was pretty cool, actually. And 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 again, just like we talked about with Julio, there's whether whether it's some form of adoration. It's a. It had to feel good if you were Shohei Otani to realize that, you know, a, a rival club, you know, that the fan base would react that way. And, you know, it's uh, he's a special player having a special year. And I thought it was really cool that our fans showed him that type of adoration because, you know, it was clearly not, you know, it, those were thoughts not being expressed by greater Major League Baseball fans who flew into Seattle. Those were Mariner fans, and it was pretty cool. Yeah, it was cool. And, you know, they, they had different reactions to other rivals. So it's not like, you know, they welcomed all of their rivals to Seattle. It felt like there was some uh, vitriol reserved for certain other rivalries in the American League West. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that Kyle Tucker wasn't really here in the, the, the come to Seattle chance, but you know, all the same, another great player, but the, it was just a different feel. And, and there's so many stories, you know, the underlying stories with, you know, what Shohei's doing right now, I'm, I'm kind of a modern day Babe Ruth having the greatest year in his career, which is going, you know, tracking as one of the greatest years in baseball history regardless of time and place. But, you know, to, to appreciate that, to appreciate the young star in his home ballpark, to appreciate, you know, 30 some odd first time all-stars. It's, it's a pretty cool thing. And, and I, you know, it's, it's a shame that it only happens, you know, once in, in a couple of generations that you get to host an all-star game, but this is going to be one just like 2001 where it's going to be a long time before, before people forget the event, which is, you know, that's, that's the idea. That's part of the the mission. Maybe you can't answer this and maybe the answer is so obvious. I shouldn't even ask it, but should he become available? I assume you would want to acquire a player like Shohei Otani. 
there's a, I, I probably can't answer that directly, but to say that I think there are 29 teams that would be very interested in acquiring Shohei Otani. Yeah, well, I, I think that that's probably true. Uh, your team goes in to the break having won seven of nine games. It was nice to see them get hot and against a, you know some really good quality opponents. How does that change or affect your decision-making as we get closer here just a couple weeks away from the deadline? Uh, probably not greatly. We're we're still waiting to see where we end up in this thing. Our our plan and the way it has been for years has always been find ways to get better. And you know we tend to think longer term than short. You know even the the Luis Castillo acquisition at the trade deadline last year, we weren't looking at it as this is the boost that gets us you know to the postseason. It's this is the boost that brings an ace to town, and we're going to see if we can lock him up for a while. So. You know, we'll continue to look at at the market, likely more players that, that have a chance to move forward with us than, than what you would call short term, you know, or rental types. And mostly trying to, to, to build that foundation and continue to build something sustainable. Uh, that's always our plan. So that hasn't changed greatly. You know, we'll see what happens over the course of the next two weeks, you know, that, that may change our position in the standings. But We've, we did a nice job of making ourselves relevant in the, the playoff race in the second half. And, you know, and we, we made it challenging on ourselves through a lot of, of April and, and into early May. But we've generally played better uh, in, in recent months over the, the aggregate. We have our ups and downs. We have our, you know, can't score the run with the bases loaded, nobody out moments. But generally we've played better uh, over the course of the last you know few weeks and very well over the course of the last 10 days so you know excited to see where it goes maybe that was a turning point for our club and we can start doing the things that we've always been capable of doing do you have a sense of what that turning point might have been i mean brock and i talked a little bit about it it came after a players only meeting it came after the booing at home we kind of talked about these fans and you know the way they 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 let the team know what they felt of about their performance in that tampa bay game do you have a sense as to what it may have been that, that that's turned the corner, or do you just shrug your shoulders and say, ah, it's baseball, sometimes you hit and you, you look a whole lot better? No, I actually think that, that all of those events you just described were exactly what, what created the turning point, is you know, players started to reflect, players started to, to let loose on the, the stress that they were bottling up. And you know, we've talked about it so much, it's a game you can't play tight you you can't play gripping the bat or gripping the ball any tighter you know it's, you have to be loose and and that's hard to do when 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 you're struggling when the fans are booing when you're giving up a touchdown or two in, in consecutive games or you can't score that the big run at the critical moment and and our players leaving that Washington series and headed into the Tampa series during our last homestand I think our players were embarrassed and they got to, we were embarrassed collectively and they got together. They spoke with one another. They didn't need help or guidance. And, and I think they, they found themselves in the struggle. And, and I think that's mostly the story of every good movie you've ever watched. That's all good <laughs> sports stories. It's, you know, over 162 game season. That's what you do is you, you're constantly going through the trials and the tribulations in the effort to find yourself. And, and I think we did. And, and we're certainly playing like it right now. And, and it's a, we're playing past the baton offense. Our pitching continues to, to drive our ship. The bullpen's been really good. And you, know, you 
I can't ask for a lot more than what we got over those last 10 days, again, putting us in a position to be relevant. And, and that's really all we could have asked for. Pretty great. It was uh, it was nice to have you on uh, on a Thursday, not after a Wednesday loss. So, uh, I mean, I guess that wasn't really an option, but it was still good. And uh, hopefully we'll get to keep doing it that way. We're a couple weeks away from the trade deadline. So love this time of year and excited to see the team back out there tomorrow. Thanks, man. We appreciate it. You got it, Mike. All right, there's Jerry DePoto, who uh, joins us every Thursday live at 8.30, and then generally you can hear it Friday morning at uh, 6.30 as well, and if you miss any of it, always uh, you can find it wherever you get your podcast or at seattlesports.com. And, you know, look, you got a Mariner team that heads into the second half, I think in a pretty decent place. They've they've looked at themselves in the mirror, which is kind of what you hear there from Jerry. They 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 found a way to 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 look themselves in the mirror, realize some of the mistakes and problems and issues that they had. They were booed by their home crowd and not just like, you know, a Philadelphia home crowd, a Mariner home crowd that is not exactly prone to booing its own team. And now they've had a break. They've had an opportunity to kind of reset, recollect all those things that you need to do. And they know the job that's ahead of them, right? It's not easy. As you heard, Gary Hill, we played you that sound earlier. It's not an easy task, but it's not insurmountable. Like they're going to have to have a good record in the second half. They're going to have to play better than they did in the first half. They've got ground to make up, but it's not insurmountable. Again, four games in the wild card, six games against a Rangers team that you're absolutely capable of tracking down. An older team that that again I think is is going to be injury prone moving forward. Yeah, I I I, I still like their chances, not as much as I did at the beginning of the year. And the other teams that we're talking about also, like I know that you you were not you know big on the Rangers, but they, I just don't see them playing at the same clip. I'm talking about the Astros, the Angels, the Red Sox. Maybe even the Yankees have got a lot of injury problems. Too. You think some of those teams drop off over I the course? Do. I just well, we I saw do. it last year, right? I mean, like remember when the Mariners kind of went through their second half struggle? Maybe it was two years ago, and it was just Baltimore and like all these teams just kind of let them hang around because they struggled down the stretch as well because the baseball season's long because it's 162 games. I'll tell you what, you want a little cause for hope. Would anybody like to be hopeful this morning? It's a Friday morning. The sun is out. It's about to be a beautiful weekend here in the greater Seattle area. I am going to give you an unbelievable reason to be hopeful. And we'll do it next. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com.